Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. There you hear the song styling of Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. Uh, we've been playing the music of Tony Bennett all three hours today. Uh, in case you've just tuned in, I woke up to a, a tweet this morning that uh, everybody's been sharing with me. Uh, Tony Bennett did a throwback Thursday post about his last night at the Hollywood Bowl where I was invited by Mr. Bennett to invite, to, to bring him on stage. What a great honor for me uh, on his last appearance there, to bring him on stage. And uh, he was flashing back uh, to that today. Uh, some nice photos um, of uh, Mr. Bennett and yours truly and Gustavo Dudamel, the maestro, who was um, in charge that night. But what a great night at the bowl on his last night uh, during a solo performance at the Hollywood Bowl. So we uh, woke up to that uh, nice throwback Thursday post from Mr. Bennett this morning. Thank you, sir. And so we've been playing a little bit of Tony Bennett music all day today because I'm in a Tony Bennett sort of mood. Um, but there you have him and Lady Gaga. We played a, a little bit earlier a track of he and Stevie Wonder for Once in My Life. That sounded good, and this does as well. Uh, and you know, of course, the song they're singing was written by the great black uh, impresario, the great black artist uh, Duke Ellington. Don't mean the thing if it ain't got that swing. In this hour, the most important, uh, no, that was last hour, right? Uh, <laughs> we just did the scholar about the wounded world. I, I'm still I'm still wrestling with that conversation from last hour with Chad Williams. What a great conversation about W.B. Du Bois. Uh, in this hour, I should be saying, uh, I've had the honor in my career uh, to talk to just about everybody, including people like Tony Bennett. Um, but in my 30-year broadcast career, uh, this is about to be a first. <laughs> uh, in this hour, a conversation with a black man who attends KKK rallies, and plenty of them. In fact, he's the godfather of former Klan Imperial wizard Roger Kelly's granddaughter. Uh, as I said, he's a black man. His name is Daryl Davis, uh, and I am pleased to welcome him to this program right about now. Daryl Davis, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Mr. Smiley. How are you doing? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on. Uh, <laughs> we we got we to gotta strike a deal right quick. I'll call you Daryl, but you got to call me Tavis. Fair enough? Fair enough. Thank right. you. No Mr. Smiley stuff. Call me Tavis, I'll call you Daryl. Um, so it's think- a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. I'm always fascinated to learn from people and, and just uh, uh, people who have different experiences in life. So I was thinking last night, uh, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about it because a couple nights ago, flipping channels, and I came across it. It's on TV somewhere every night. You know the scene in, in Bad Boys where Will, <laughs> Will and Martin find themselves at the beginning of the movie uh, at, at a Klan rally. Uh, and and yeah. all, all hell sort of breaks loose. I saw that movie literally a couple nights ago for the umpteenth time. And here you come today as our guest in this area. And I'm, again, I'm delighted to have you. So let, let me start big, man. Let me start big, and we will we will um we'll, we'll go from there. How is it that as a black man you ever found yourself at one Klan rally, much less multiple Klan rallies? Uh, uh, curiosity, uh huh. Curiosity, because you know we all live in this country together. We all are Americans, and we have to learn to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise we're you know we're going to self destruct. Yeah. And but uh, but I think what you know what most people have to understand, black and white, uh, is my background. Uh, I'm 65 years old. I just turned 65. Congrats. And um, thank you. Um, as a child, I was uh, uh, I was my parents were in the U.S. Foreign Service, so mm-hmm. I grew up as an American embassy kid, traveling all around the world. And that began at the age of three in 1961. Mm-hmm. Uh, to date, when you combine my my childhood travels with my adulthood travels as a professional musician, 
I've been in 62 countries on six continents. Wow. I've played in all 50 states. So <clears throat> what that has done is it has exposed me to a multitude of cultures, ethnicities, uh, skin colors, religions, uh, ideologies, etc. And all of that has helped shape who I've become. My first exposure to, I, I lived in Africa for 10 years, mm -hmm. Ethiopia, Ghana, Guinea, Senegal, and visited many other African countries in between. I lived in Europe. Um, my first exposure to school was overseas. I did kindergarten, first grade, third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, and in between I came back home. Mm -hmm. But overseas, my classes were filled with kids from all over the world. My classmates were from Nigeria, Japan, Russia, Yugoslavia, France, Germany, Italy. If any of those countries had an embassy where, where we had our embassy, all of their kids went to the same school. Mm -hmm. So that being my first exposure to school made it my baseline for what school was to be. But every time I'd come home in between my dad's assignments and go to school back home here in the States, I would either be in all black schools or black and white schools, meaning the still segregated or the newly integrated. And there was not the amount of diversity in my classroom that I had overseas. But I knew it could work. Mm. I knew it could work. And I, and I questioned why. I had an incident uh, at the age of 10. We had just come back home from overseas. This was 1968. And uh, I was uh, one of two black children in the entire school where I was now going mm -hmm. uh, for fourth grade. Um, there, was, uh, there were two black kids, myself in fourth grade and little girl in second grade. So consequently, all of my friends were fourth and fifth graders who all were white. And my male friends, some of them were members of the Cub Scouts and invited me to join, which I did. And I participated in a parade along with several other groups. And I was the only black participant in this parade. And people were cheering and waving and having a good time until we reached one point in the parade when suddenly I was getting hit by bottles and soda pop cans and small debris from the street. But just a small uh, group of the white spectators, not everybody, just a small group, maybe four or five people. Mm. And I did not understand it. Uh, my first reaction was, oh, those people over there on the sidewalk, uh, they don't like the scouts. That's how naive I was. Mm. And my, my den mother, my cup master, my troop leader all came running. They all were white and huddled over me and escorted me out of the danger, I kept asking them, why, why are they doing this? I, I didn't do anything to them. And all they would say to me is, keep moving, keep moving, everything will be fine. They never addressed the question. When I got home, uh, my mom and dad, who were not at the parade, were cleaning me up, putting Band-Aids on me, and asking me how did I fall down and get all scraped up. <laughs> I told them exactly what happened. And for the first time in my life, Tavis, my parents sat me down at mm. the age of 10 and explained what racism was to me. Believe it or not, at the age of 10, I, a black man or a black boy at that time, uh, had never heard the word racism. It did not exist in my sphere. Mm -hmm. I was around people from all over the world. Sure. And we all got along. We didn't speak the same language, maybe. We didn't look alike. We didn't worship alike. But we all got along. So racism did not exist for me. And when my parents were telling me why this was happening, my 10-year-old brain could not process the idea that someone who had never seen me, never spoken to me, knew nothing about me, would want to hurt me for no other reason than the color of my skin. So based on that, I formed a question in my mind at that age, which was, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And I've been looking for the answer to that question for the next uh, 55 years. And so who better to ask that question of than someone who would go so far as to join an organization with over a 100-year history of practicing hating people who don't look like them and who don't believe as they believe. 
So I sought out members of the KKK. This hour is going to be rich. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to contain myself. <laughs> Not wanting to interrupt because I want him to lay that foundation. And y'all know me. Now that the foundation is laid, I'm going to interrogate it for the rest of this hour. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with Daryl Davis when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Yes, you are. We're glad about it. I'm Tavis Smiley. He is Daryl Davis. He's our guest in this hour, and I've been looking forward uh, to this conversation with this black man who uh, has spent time not at one, two, or three, but a number of, of, of Klan rallies. And I want to know why would a black man hang out at Klan rallies. And I could not. I've been at this, what, 30-plus years in my career. I've never had a better <laughs> foundation laid for any conversation I've ever uh, been engaged in, the one Daryl Davis just laid. Uh, that backstory is, is rich, and and I understand now uh, why he's been on a search uh, to get this question answered. How can you hate me and you don't even know me? Now, before I get to that, let me go to this backstory and ask a couple of story, a couple of questions about that, if I can, Daryl. Um, sure. n- n- number one. Um, uh, I'm a military brat as well, so I, I know of uh, you're moving around the world. I didn't uh, move as much as you did because I'm one of 10 kids. And at a certain point, it became an economic hardship for the Air Force to move us around. <laughs> they didn't want to pay that right. money to move around a family of 13 people, <laughs> 10 kids, my mom, my dad, big mama, 13 of us. So we got stuck in a place called Indiana. Uh, but uh, all around the world, you have traveled. Indiana, by the way, Indiana, by the way, uh, had the highest number of Klan uh, members. Who you telling? Time. Who you telling? I, 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 uh, I, I, exactly. I know that backstory. You got to tell me that part of the story. That I do know. Uh, and, okay. and, and, and many of them were in a place called Martinsville. Here's the thing. Let me, since you went there, let Martinsville me, and Marion. You got it. So let me let me pivot right quick. This brother knows his history. Let me tell you two quick stories about that. So I, okay. so my, my my family right now lives in Kokomo, Indiana, which is literally five miles, five minutes from Marion, Indiana. Uh, I got a friend. I got a friend listing right now who just sent me a text the other day that she's going to uh, a graduation in Marion. I said, look out, look out. Let me tell you where you're going now. Sundown Town. You got it. So she's going to Marion for a graduation. If you're listening right now, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, secondly, uh, Martinsville, Indiana, in southern Indiana, was another clan uh, hub. And you should know that the great. Uh, the great uh, basketball coach, they called him the Wizard of Westwood. He hated that name. John Wooden of UCLA fame comes out of Martinsville. Uh, and so uh, John Wooden is the ni- one of the nicest persons I've ever met. But Martinsville was certainly a Klan town. Here's the thing. You can't get to Bloomington, Indiana, from northern Indiana where I grew up, to Bloomington where I went to college at IU. you got to go through Martinsville, anywhere around it. If you come from my house in north central Indiana, to get to Bloomington, you have to go right through Martinsville. One night in Martinsville, Daryl, I ran out of gas. <laughs> ran out of gas one night in, in Martinsville. And when I tell you I prayed like I ain't never prayed. And true story, a, 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 a pickup truck pulls up, shotguns in the window. And I must tell you, I you talking about scared. I prayed. I said, Lord, if you ever let me get out of this, I will never run out of gas again as long as I live. Uh, <laughs> pickup truck pulls up two white boys in the pickup truck in Marchville, Indiana. Not one, but two guns on the rack in the window that I can see. I'm by myself. And long story short, 
They were the two nicest white guys I ever met. They got me some gas, uh, and I got out of Martinsville. So the, the Lord saved me that particular night in Martinsville. Again, as you heard Daryl say, uh, one of the places in Indiana that has been full of Klan members down through the years uh, historically. That said, that's my Indiana story since you since you knew a little bit yeah. about Indiana. Well, and, Go ahead. And anybody, and, and you know the story, and anybody else who wants to know, look up uh, Carol Jenkins, who mm-hmm. was murdered in Martinsville. That's exactly right. You know the story, brother. So uh, oh, that's yeah? that's my Indiana story. So uh, my, my mom well, and— Real quick, uh, yeah. a, a, very, a very similar story. Sure. Uh, my grandfather— uh, you know, uh, I was asking, you know, uh, he's he's from uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's long passed on since then. But back when I was, uh, you know, uh, starting to investigate the Klan and all that, I asked him about the Klan. And my dad, my, my granddad, my granddad was a uh, Pullman porter. On oh, the train. yes. And he said he had gotten off. I asked him, you know, if he ever saw the Klan. He goes, oh, yeah. And uh, he got off somewhere in North Carolina, uh, you know, just, just for a short stop. And the train had left without him. It, it had just left, and uh, these uh, these guys came up and started roughing him up. They were KKK. Told him he you know he better be uh, he, he better catch the next train out of there you know before sundown, mm. or they were going to have their way with him. And he told them that if they let him go, he'd catch the trains that just left. (laughs) (laughs) I'll catch the one that just left if you let me go. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a funny story, man. That's a funny story. I mean, 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 we laugh now, but, but those are true stories. I mean, what you said about the guys pulling up. And putting the guns in your face, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's no, it was no laughing matter then. I mean, it really isn't now, but we can look back on it. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, let me interrogate one thing about your about your backstory, then we'll go to the Klan rallies. Um, mm-hmm. Given all that you shared with us, which I, which I loved hearing about your travel around the world and how at ten you didn't know what racism was, and I get it, given your story that you were in divert, you you were in classroom, you you are the real DEI, diverse, equity, and inclusion. That's your backstory, given what you saw in the classrooms around the world. Uh, as you traveled. Um, Here's my question right quick. Given that most Americans, overwhelmingly, most Americans do not own a passport, much much less travel around the world, um, what do you think that we are missing? I mean, all of us uh, in this demon. What what, what are we missing by not traveling around the world as you have? Okay. Well, to to address your your passport question, uh, I know this very, very well. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, only 37% of Americans own passports. That is correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so Europeans travel all the time, so mm-hmm. they're a lot more worldly than we are. Um, to answer your question, what are we missing? Let me give you, let me quote you my very favorite quote of all time. It's called The Travel Quote by Mark Twain, the author. Mm. And Mark Twain said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Mm. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Woo! Woo! That's Mark Twain, Travel huh? Travel quote, Mark Twain. Yep, Mark yes, Twain, sir. man. Never heard that one, but it's a good one. It's a good one, man. Look it up. Yeah, you just gave it to me now. I will find it. It's a great quote. Um, so I, I take your I take your response to my answer with your Twain quote. I'll leave that where it is. It's a great now. Now yeah. I'll tell you. I mean, you know, you know, what what does all this travel mean? You know, sixty two countries, all fifty states, et cetera. Um, what does it mean other than I've got a lot of frequent flyer miles and hotel <laughs> points? Okay, <clears throat> what it <laughs> what it means is that I've been exposed to all kinds of cultures. Right. And and let me tell you something, uh, Tavis. <clears throat> 
no matter, here's one thing that I learned in all my travels, Mm -hmm. no matter how far I go from our own country, the United States, whether it's right next door to Canada or right next door to Mexico or halfway around the globe, uh, no matter how different the people may, may be who I meet, who don't look like me, speak my language or worship as I do or whatnot, I always conclude one thing. Everybody I've encountered is a human being. And as such, uh, everybody wants these five core values in their lives, no matter where they are. Everybody wants to be loved. Yes. Everybody wants to be respected. Yes. Everybody wants to be heard. Mm. We all want to be treated fairly and Mm. truthfully. Mm -hmm. And we all want the same thing for our family as anybody else wants for their family. So if we can uh, apply those five core values or any of those values, when we find ourselves, I'm not talking about just about racism. It could be about any hot topic. You know, in fact, let's take racism off the table for a second. Mm-hmm. We got abortion. We got nuclear weapons. We got global warming. We got the war, the wars in uh, Iraq and uh, and Ukraine. We got uh, the last presidential election, the upcoming one, whatever. These are all hot topics. Mm-hmm. You're on one side. Somebody else is on the other. If we can apply those five core values when we find ourselves in an adversarial situation or in a um, un- in a society or environment in which we are uncomfortable or unfamiliar, I can guarantee you our navigation of that situation, society, or a situation will be much more smooth and much more positive. And that's what I do. I just treat uh, white supremacists. I mean, I deal with the Klan, Proud Boys, alt-right, neo-Nazis, even black supremacists. I just treat them as another culture, and I apply those values. As a result, over 200 – I've been doing this now for, for 41 years – over 200 white supremacists have left their movements, have given me their swastika flags, their, their Ku Klux Klan robes and hoods, and all kinds of other stuff. I have a whole collection of that stuff given to me by people who were active when I met them. Mm. I don't like to say that I converted them. Mm. I say that I gave them reason to convert themselves. Yeah. Um, you are echoing me uh, in, in regard to your five things. Uh, your list is slightly, slightly different than mine, but I've said many times that we all want to be loved, respected, uh, affirmed and acknowledged every now and again. Yeah. I, I take your list. Uh, it's a beautiful list. And by the way, let me just say, we were discussing this in studio during the break. Uh, no, it's not just you. He does sound like James Earl Jones. It's not just you listening right now. He does. Uh, we, we've, we've decided already he sounds just like James Earl Jones when he talks. Uh, and so uh, it ain't just you. If you're thinking that, I'm thinking it too. So we're on the same page about that. Now, let me let me do this right quick. Um, when a brother shows up at a Klan rally, I, I mentioned earlier we've all seen bad boys with, with Martin Lawrence and, and Will at the beginning of the movie at a Klan rally. Uh, I'm thinking also now of Richard Pryor, the movie Bustin' Loose. Richard Pryor's at a Klan rally in Bustin' Loose. Um, so we, right, we've Dave seen... Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. We, we talked about that in the break Chappelle show. So we've, we've all seen these sort of skits that are somewhat humorous when a brother shows up at a Klan rally. But since you've been to a few of them, tell me what really does happen when a black man shows up at a Klan rally. Okay. Well, first, let me tell you this. You know, you, you called it right, a skit. And, and the skit was, was scripted, you know, to be humorous, et cetera, poke fun at different things. Well, and, and we all laugh at those things. I'll tell you what, I don't laugh at them because I have been to Klan rallies. You know, uh, Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle, and Martin Lawrence have probably never been to a Klan rally. Mm-hmm. I've been to plenty of them, and they are not funny. They are not amusing. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are for real. They, they you know, they consider themselves patriots. They're going to do whatever they have to do to preserve uh, what they feel is a preservation of, of their rightfully owned country and, and their race. 
you know, they don't realize that race is a man-made construct. There's no such thing as the black race, white race. We all are the same race, the human race. But, you know, they don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And when you join these organizations, you take a blood oath. You, you know, you, you go through an initiation uh, ceremony and, and, you know, that becomes your family. And you are there to protect, you know, your family. And your family are the people who share the same. In other words, the, the enemy, the enemy's un- uniform is the color of his skin. Mm. Mm. So when you say so, uh, so, so answer your question. You know, when, when I yeah. come to a Klan rally, yeah. okay. Now there, there are two types of Klan rallies. Okay, there are are public ones and there are private ones. So a public one would be like say you know the Klan you know uh, applies for a permit to hold a rally in a public park sure. down on Main Street. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have to have a permit. Now it's a public park, which means anybody can go. You can go. I can go. Now, if there's, you know, if there's anticipation of violence, et cetera, like that, and, and demonstrations, then there's going to be a, a barrier of police separating the protesters from the from the uh, from the rally people. Mm-hmm. All right. Obviously, because you don't want, you know, a, a clash in the street like what happened in Charlottesville. Right. Um, OK, so but if there if there's, you know, if it's in some rural area where, where most of the place is planned, you, know, you can go stand around, do whatever you want to do. Um, if it's a private rally, which means. Uh, it, it is on somebody's private property, like perhaps a Klansman or Klanswoman owns a farm, right? And they have the rally there. Uh, you have to be invited because that's private property. You can't just walk on there. Mm-hmm. So I've been to both kinds. Um, I've had Grand Dragons and Imperial Wizards invite me to, to private rallies. I've been to, to public rallies. Now, uh, when I go on to, onto these rally grounds, yes, there will be Klan people there who do not like the fact that I'm there. However, if I've been invited, they will not do anything to me mm. because there is a a you know a ranking you know like a, like a like a military you know you, you don't you don't break um rules you, know, right. you unless unless your leader says if your leader says it's okay then you know you just got to shut up and bear with it let me let me let me, know, let, me you know, let me cut in right quick Daryl. i'm gonna get in my clock here. i got news traffic and sports in about 30 seconds uh let me do this uh when we come forward i want to ask you the following um uh, for what reason other than being lynched, <laughs> would a black man be invited to a Klan rally? And clearly, you've been to many, uh, a private Klan rally. You didn't get lynched. But, like, for what reason would they invite a brother uh, to a Klan rally uh, if, if, if they're not going to you know, string him up? I, I want to hear the answer to that question because I'm curious as to what you did, uh, what, you, uh, what, your, what your role was uh, when you were invited to these private Klan rallies. Uh, you're the only brother I know who's ever been invited to multiple pri- private uh, clan rallies, and I want to I want to understand that. We're talking to Daryl Davis. Uh, you never know what you're going to learn listening to KBLA Talk 1580, who you're going to hear, uh, but I'm learning today as much as you are, courtesy of our guest, Daryl Davis, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. That's Tony Bennett. If I rule the world, Every and Lord, if, <laughs> if I rule the world, you might not want to know what I would do if I if I ruled the Every world. Just be be grateful that I don't. <laughs> what I do do is sit in this chair every day from 9 a.m. to 12 noon as a host on KBLA Talk 1580. And I'm glad to have you tuned in today. Our phone our phone number that is uh, 1-800-920-1580. We've been playing the music of Tony Bennett uh, all three hours of uh, our program today, and he sounds just as good now as he uh, approaches the age of 97. Uh, come later this summer. Uh, our guest in this final hour today is Daryl Davis, um, who, uh, as a black man, uh, attends, has attended any number of KKK rallies, 
I, I got a message, matter of fact, during the uh, during that break, uh, Daryl, which I about a piece I have not seen. Um, somebody uh, is uh, texting me or uh, emailing us uh, that uh, we should take a look at your PBS documentary called Accidental Courtesy. Is that, does that ring a bell? That is. Yeah, absolutely. It came out in 2016. It yeah. won a bunch of awards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was unaware of the uh, of the documentary, so I have to check out the uh, Accidental Courtesy is the documentary uh, for those who want to uh, uh, see and not just hear more uh, of Daryl Davis and his interesting backstory. Again, it's called Accidental Courtesy, uh, a documentary about uh, one Daryl Davis, who we have on uh, KBLA today, and uh, we're uh, delighted to have him on in this hour. Um, let me ask you uh, a question based on what you said a moment ago, uh, moments ago, and that is uh, why a brother would be invited to a Klan rally. Okay, well, I wasn't invited right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, after I, I, you know, I went, I wrote the first book on the Ku Klux Klan, written by a black author from the perspective of sitting down face-to-face with these people, interviewing them. Mm-hmm. There had been, you know, all the other books were written by white authors, with the exception of two books written by black authors you know, that dealt with the Klan, but each author detailed how he escaped a lynching, exactly what you're talking about, one in the 1930s and one in the 1940s, right. but not from the perspective of sitting down face-to-face with their prospective lynchers and questioning them. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how could you hate me? How could you lynch me just because of the color of my skin? So, uh, and, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, Tavis, that a missed opportunity for dialogue is a missed opportunity for conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. You know, when two adversaries are talking, or two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. They're talking. They may be disagreeing, but at least they're talking. It's when the conversation ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. So you want to keep the conversation going. And if, if you spend five minutes with, with your worst enemy, regardless of what the topic is, racism or anything else, if you spend five minutes with that person, you're going to find something in common. And if you spend another five minutes, you're going to find more in common. And the gap between you closes. And then, you know, when you found enough things in common, you know, you, 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 you figure, you know what, um, the, the, trivial, the trivial things you have in contrast begin to matter less and less, such as your skin color or whether you go to a church, a synagogue, a mosque or a temple. And then people begin to wonder, well, why do I hate this person? I mean, he likes the same, same things I like. You know, we so, speak the same language. So, 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 when you so, ask, so when you ask a member of the Klan... Um, that penultimate question that you raised earlier, which is why and how can you hate me and you don't even know me, when you pose that question to them as a black man, what kind of responses do you get or did you get? Okay, I get I get two responses. Okay. I get one in the in, I get one in the beginning. Okay, at the at the at the uh, initiation of our of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Davis, you have to understand one thing: black people are prone to crime, and this is evidenced by the fact that there are more black people in prison. Uh, than white people. Okay, so now this guy is calling me a criminal. I'm prone to crime because of the color of my skin. And now I'm listening to him. I realize this man doesn't know me. You know, all all he sees is the color of my skin, and he's making that judgment. But now he's 100% correct in the fact that there are more black people in prison than white people. The data does show that. And that's all he needs to support his already racist narrative in his mind that black people are criminals, we're inferior, you know, we, we commit crimes, etc. All right, so the data does show that. But so therefore, he does not go to look beyond the data to find that uh, the reason why we, you know, there may be more blacks in prison is because of an imbalance in our judicial system. Mm-hmm. All right, but I just keep, I don't interrupt him, I just keep listening to him. And then he'll go on to say, you know, um, 
uh, black people are born with a smaller brain than white people. And this is evidenced by the fact that uh, that black high school high school students uh, score lower on the uh, SAT scores than uh, than white students. Again, the data shows he's 100 percent correct. Uh, black kids do uh, overall do score lower than white kids. And that's again, that's all he needs to support his narrative. All right. But in reality, I wait till he finishes and then I give him the reality mm-hmm. about the imbalance in our judicial system. And then I explain to him, well, most black kids in this country go to school in the inner city. Most white kids go to school in the suburbs. Fact, inner city schools are not as qualified, not not as good as suburban schools. Uh, we we have outdated uh, uh, equipment, uh, facilities, textbooks, etc., and 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 teaching qualifications. Black kids who go to school in the suburbs can score just as high, if not higher, than some of those white kids. White kids who go to school in the suburbs, I mean, in the inner city, can score just as low, if not lower, than some of the black kids. It has absolutely nothing to do with the color of of the student's skin or the size of the student's brain, but has everything to do with the quality of the educational system in which that child is enrolled. Are, so, you know, that, I'm sorry. No, are, are, are these persons, uh, you, you're telling this story so calmly, Daryl, um, but you're at a Klan rally talking to folk who are wearing hoods. Um, and does the conversation really go that calmly? Are, are they, after, after, after all of their uh, years, many of them engaged in this kind of white supremacist behavior, is the conversation really that calm? Are they really taking in the uh, data you're giving them that easily? No, no, I absolutely remain calm because, you know, um, hey, no, 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 not, 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 not you. I'm asking, are they receiving what you're giving them as calmly as you're presenting to us right now? Uh, some of them do and some of them don't. Okay. Some of them, you know, go off the deep end. OK, but, but what it does is it plants a seed. It plants a seed. And then when they when they go home and think about it over time and they research and they find out, you know, um, that guy, Daryl Davis, uh, he made sense. Oh, but he's black. Mm. But, but he, but, but what he said was true. Oh, but he's black. So they're having a cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. They know what I said is true, but they don't want to accept it because it came from a black man. So they struggle with the, with this dilemma. And, and so they have to make, so eventually they have to make a decision because it becomes stressed out. Do I, do I not consider the color of his skin and believe it because it's true and change my ideology? Or do I consider the color of his skin and, and, and consider it a lie and keep on living a lie? Mm. They have to decide which is the best. In most cases, not all cases, in most cases, they will follow the truth. Yeah. What, what makes, I want to frame this the right way, what makes these engagements, these encounters that you have with Klan members as a black man, what makes this for you time well spent I assume it must be because you wouldn't keep doing it. So wh- why is it time? How is it time well spent for you, Daryl Davis? Okay, well, because the, it, it's the same reason that it makes it time well spent for you to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Your parents, your grandparents, my parents, my grandparents went through a whole lot to, to allow us, when we, when we finally became born, to not have to go through what they went through. Mm-hmm. You know, your parents, my parents had to, had to sit in the back of the bus drink from certain water fountains, could not eat in certain restaurants or sleep in certain hotels, all right? But because of what they went through, the boycotts, the marches, the demonstrations, et cetera, uh, you and I are, are now able to do that. Is racism over? Absolutely not. You know, we've got a long ways to go, but we've come a long ways be- because of what our our predecessors did before us, our relatives, our parents, et cetera. All right, so is it, 
So is it uh, is it unthinkable of me to go out and do more so that generations who come after me don't have to go through what you and I are going through now? All right, you you have this talk show where you are allowed to talk about these things and um, and, and 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 promote anti-racist behavior and things like that. You probably could not have done that fifty years ago. No question about that. Uh, no question about that. But I'm glad we have the opportunity to do it today. And sadly. Uh, in uh, this nation, it is still needed. It is still necessary. When we come forward, uh, I want to interrogate something else that Daryl said earlier in this conversation. Um, he used the phrase black supremacist. He was talking about white supremacists. He said, or for that matter, black supremacists. I want to know how he defines that. We're talking to Daryl Davis on KBLA Talk 1580. Be sure to like and follow Tavis Smiley at The Real Tavis Smiley. And get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues when we come forward. Forward. Unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. So Daryl Davis, when you said earlier in this conversation, uh, used the phrase black supremacist, what does that mean for you? A supremacist is anyone uh, who considers that by, by the virtue of his or her skin color, they are superior to someone of another skin, a pigmentation or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So you, you can have black supremacists, Asian supremacists, white supremacists, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you encountered black supremacists in your work? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of you know, when, when, when you deal when you deal with with one form of supremacy, you will encounter the others along the fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you encounter these others, uh, these black supremacists along the fringe, uh, what conversations do you engage uh, with them? Uh, they, well, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. They disagree with me as well. Now, now, believe it or not. Now, this might freak you out or freak out some of your listeners, Mm -hmm. but this is true. Black supremacists and white supremacists get along. Okay? Why? Because they both share the same ideology of keeping your race pure. Mm. Okay? Mm. Um, uh, Louis Louis Farrakhan is a black supremacist. All right? He spoke at Tom Metzger's Klan rally. Tom Metzger was a big time. Oh, wait. Tom Metzger lived in Indiana for a long time. Then he moved out to California. Um, big-time Klan leader and white supremacist. He was the head and founder of WAR, W-A-R, White Aryan Resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, Louis Farrakhan has spoken at, at some of his functions. Tom Metzger has spoken at some of Louis Farrakhan's functions because they both believe in, in keeping the races separate and pure, not, not uh, you know, miscegenation. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, they may disagree on other things, but they have that in common. So I'm against any form of supremacy. You know, it's funny. But I- let me tell you what's... Sure. I'm sorry, go ahead. Now, let, me, let me respond right quick. We could spend hours, and I'm looking at my clock. We don't want to get it off into the deep end in a debate about the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Uh, but but I, I know him. I've known him. Um, I've, I've interviewed him. I've been we, We've broken bread together. I've been at his house. He's been at mine. I mean, we, we spent time together over the years talking about a variety of things. And I've never thought of him as a black supremacist. I, I think Minister Farrakhan wants the humanity and the dignity of black people respected but I don't know. I've ever heard him say that he thinks that black folk are better than other people. I, I've, I've never heard that come out of him. That may be true, but he also does not believe in intermingling of the races. Yeah, I, 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 that's that's the conversation. We could, that's a different conversation. And I, I don't feel qualified to speak on that piece of the way he processes. But this notion and I take your point about the way you define black supremacists. Uh, I just have never heard that that formulation come from him again. He wants us to be respected. He wants us to, our humanity yeah. and our, our dignity. 
uh, to, to be regarded by others, but I've never heard him espouse a point of view as I've heard Klan's members uh, espouse that they think they are better than all the rest of us. And that's exactly what they think. Do they not that they're better than black people? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, and, and while I, uh, while I may have misspoke about about Mr. Because you certainly know uh, Mr. Farrakhan far better than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may never have said that. Uh, all I know is that he does not believe in commingling the races, okay. and he has spoke and he has spoken at um, at uh, at Metzger's um, yeah. uh, functions. Got also, it. his his chief deputy, who in fact he actually kicked out of the uh, Nation of Islam, uh, Khalid Muhammad. Yeah, years ago, uh, was, remember that. Was yes, yeah. yes, was a a black supremacist. No, no, no. question about it. Yeah. white people are the devil. Blah blah blah. Yeah, on and on. Nope. I, um, I, I, okay. I, t- I take your point. Khalid Muhammad, I, w- I would grant you, Khalid Muhammad was, in fact, a black supremacist uh, by your definition. Uh, Minister Farrakhan, to my mind, not. Uh, when we come forward, because I'm going to got a time here, uh, I do want to ask the question that uh, that uh, we uh, raised earlier, the notion we raised earlier, uh, that you are the goddaughter, godfather, rather, <laughs> the godfather of uh, of a granddaughter of one of the former imperial widgets of the clan. How does that happen? It's one thing to go to clan rallies, one thing to understand them better, one thing to try to understand and celebrate to the extent you can their own humanity, uh, one thing to ask them, how can you hate me? You don't even know me. But quite another to be the godfather of a granddaughter of a former imperial wizard of the clan. That part, as we say, I want to understand better. In our remaining moments with Daryl Davis on KBLA Talk 1580. Before we get one final question here to uh, our guest, Daryl Davis, in this hour, um, a few things I want to bring your attention to. If you are as fascinated by him as I am in this hour and want to learn more about him and his work hanging out with Klan's members, uh, there is a TED Talk. It is one of the most popular TED Talks of all time, over 12 million views and, uh, and counting. It's called Why I, as a Black Man, Attend KKK Rallies. Very popular TED Talk. Why I, as a black man, attend KKK rallies. That's one way to download more about Daryl Davis. Secondly, there's a book uh, that he wrote some years ago. It's called Clandestine Relationships. Clandestine Relationships, K-L-A-N. Clandestine Relationships. Uh, There's a book you can find perhaps somewhere uh, online. Uh, And his documentary film, uh, Accidental Courtesy, I mentioned earlier, is now distributed by Netflix. Uh, so a TED Talk, Why I as a Black Man Attend KKK Rallies, a book, Clandestine Relationships, uh, and uh, a documentary, Accidental Courtesy, uh, distributed now by Netflix. Three different uh, ways to learn more about Daryl Davis, should you be so inclined. Um, Daryl, let me close with this. Um, I mentioned earlier in our conversation that you are the godfather of former Klan and Imperial Wizard Roger Kelly's granddaughter. How did that happen in the two minutes I have left here? Actually, uh, it's not his granddaughter, but his daughter. His daughter, and okay. because because he renounced his views, and we became friends. You know, so so it's not unusual. A couple years ago, I walked an imperial wizard's bride down the aisle and gave her away, a clanswoman, because her father was too ill to attend the uh, the wedding. But they trusted me enough. We we developed a friendship. So these things are not you know are, are not impossible. It proves that my methods work. And, and it causes people to rethink their ideology. Real quick, and maybe one day you can have me back on, I, I can tell you real quick what's going on today. Mm-hmm. The, the, these uh, white supremacists are fearing the year 2042, because that is the year that sure. it, it is predicted, you know, that we, we'll, we, we'll be 50-50, white versus non-white. And what they tell me is, Daryl, I don't want my grandkids to be brown. 
You know, they call it the browning of America or white genocide through miscegenation. They are fearing that. And that's why we're seeing so much uptick in, uh, in, in um, you know, uh, racism towards blacks, towards Asians, towards Jewish people, anti-Semitism, all these kinds of things. And this is something that we that we need to be aware of, and we need to be proactive yeah. rather than reactive. No, we've been talking about it uh, uh, ad infinitum here. Um, this notion that we are soon to become a majority minority nation. Yes, uh, and it's one of the reasons why you get things uh, idiotic things like the Great Replacement Theory, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, uh, because to your point, they are afraid, and so uh, uh, maybe yes. we will at some point have a conversation about uh, their fear about that. Not that I I don't, I don't have I don't have any empathy for that, but their fear about it. But more importantly, what can be done. Uh, yes. about their fears. Now, that I find to be a legitimate conversation. Uh, we don't want a World War Three because they can't handle the fact that they will be outnumbered for the first time. So maybe down the road we'll come Listen, back and do that again. Yeah. When when you sat on, on, on the throne of power for 400 years, yes. you don't want to get off. No, I get look, look at our last president. He was only there four years. He thinks he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Point well taken. We'll do, it. We'll, we'll, we'll do that, Daryl, I promise you. Thanks for your time, man. All the best to you. I'll talk to you down the road somewhere, brother. Take care. My pleasure. Daryl Davis, I guess, in this hour. All right, there's our show today. What a week it's been. What a show it's been. Hope you enjoyed tuning in today and hanging out with us. Time now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Until tomorrow morning when you will hear the best of Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep the faith.